Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus was out in a desolate place, as Mark reports. Usually, desolate places involve few people, which sometimes people enjoy such retreats. But this time, things are different. A large crowd had gathered, and they were with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did they go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking in the wind? No, they went out to the desolate place because Jesus was there. And as Mark reports, they had been with Jesus now for three days. Why were they with Jesus for such a long time? How could they spend that much time with just one person? Was it like watching a magic show? Was Jesus providing all the entertainment, causing the people to be wowed with his smooth talk? Were they enamored by his looks or his charm or his wit? Were these the reasons for why they would be with Jesus for three days? It would require things like that normally today for any single person to be centered, for a crowd to be centered around any single person. But not in this case. They were there for something far greater, more profound, and even life-changing. The crowd was with Jesus because he was doing as the prophet was prophesied to do, to teach and preach the word of God. This crowd was listening to the life-saving, life-giving word. And, of course, Jesus would back up his preaching with various miracles, signs, and wonders. And now Jesus is about to perform another miracle. With seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, Jesus feeds this great crowd of about 4,000. Now even though he had previously fed the 5,000, this miracle is just as astonishing. Because afterward, they pick up seven baskets full of leftover fragments far, far more than what they started with. This shows that Jesus certainly did make all things, as the scriptures testify, for he can continue to create. Simply amazing. Now this account teaches us two important points. First, Jesus imparts heavenly gifts that far exceed earthly losses And second, Jesus certainly provides for the needs of this life. Consider the earthly losses the 4,000 were willing to endure as they spent the past several days with Jesus listening to him. This crowd was not earning wages during these past few days. They did not prioritize the opportunity to earn wages over the word of God. This crowd being in a desolate place was not vacationing in one of those ideal and beautiful places. And this crowd 
by being recipients and not having the attention placed on them, we're not busy expanding their reputations or gaining a name in this life or even increasing their possessions. In fact, this crowd, they were endangering themselves for being so far away from amenities. Instead of looking out for their earthly lives, they were focused on the heavenly crown that Jesus was granting them through his word. Now, if you were guaranteed that you would suffer many earthly losses for following Christ, would you still follow him? Maybe something for us to consider is, if a pandemic happens again, would you accept it if your church should choose closing and disallowing you from gathering with God's people just to give you some temporary feelings of safety? Through that experience, I must say I've learned that we ought not to shut down again. Of course, we could offer many multiple services to accommodate. Because the church is necessary. It is, in fact, needed more than anything else in this world. For through the word and sacraments, Christ meets us with his gifts and prepares us to meet him in glory. Prior to his conversion, St. Paul, who was then known as Saul, was trying to arrest Christians. He consented to their death. He was seeking to eliminate Christianity because it contradicted with his religion, Judaism, which was not the true teaching of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, if you had a Saul in your community and you knew that's what it meant to be a Christian, you could be arrested and you could even be executed for clinging to Christ, would you do it? And then when Saul was converted, the Lord said of St. Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. If you knew that that's what it meant to be baptized into Christ, and that the Lord had laid before your Christian path much suffering on account of the gospel, would you still follow Jesus? And so remember, my dear fellow redeemed, what you truly have in Christ, why this is so worth it. You have peace with God. You have eternal life. You are adopted into God's own family. God promises to hear your prayers, and he answers them according to his good and gracious will. And so remember what you confess in the baptismal creed. I believe in the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. These are not 
empty words that we just simply repeat out of rote memory, but they tell you of the possession that you have in our Lord Jesus Christ. If your life is shortened because you follow Christ, will you really lose anything as you are ushered into the gates of heaven and obtain eternal life? If you lose material possessions for being Christian, whether it's through your tithes or loss of income for reserving Sundays with the Lord or by enduring loss through those who hate the gospel, will you really lose a thing when you gain heavenly treasures from Christ? If for some reason, on account of being a Christian, you must remain a beggar in this life, what have you lost when you are given a crown in heaven? What have you lost if you never obtain a home in this life, but obtain a mansion in heaven? If you must lose a penny today to gain a thousand tomorrow, of course you'll part with that penny. And so it is also in the kingdom of God, we're willing to part with the paltry earthly possessions and lifestyles in this life so that we can obtain heavenly treasures. But because we so often want to cling to the fleeting things of this world, and even to the passions of our flesh, we must repent. We confess that we have not loved God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We confess that we have not allowed God's word to dwell in us richly. We confess that we have loved the passing and fleeting things of this world more than the eternal blessings offered by Christ. Remember the words recorded in the epistle to the Romans. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And we must also remember that just as our good and gracious Lord had compassion on the 4,000 and would not send them away to faint on their way home, so also our Lord has compassion on you. Never forget the love that Christ has for you. Remember our Lord's teaching that a sparrow does not fall to the ground apart from his will and that you are of far more value than they. Remember that he has numbered the very hairs on your head. Remember that the Lord causes the rain to fall on both the just and the unjust. Remember the promise of God after Noah was safely delivered through the ark, in which the Lord declared while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Verse 
meaning God continues to take care of you. In fact, the Lord has blessed us beyond what we deserve. We live in a place that is peaceful. While there may be crime, and there always will be, we do not need bars on our windows to keep the criminals out of our homes or out of our church. We live in a beautiful land with fertile soil. We have amenities that kings of Bible times never dreamt of or could imagine, like air conditioning or anything else that uses electricity. We have much to be thankful for. Above all, we are thankful that the Lord saw us in our sinful state and sent his only begotten Son to pay for every last sin of ours. We heard the words of our epistle, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think it makes us ask the question, what do we earn for each sin that we commit? Paul began the chapter, as I mentioned last week, should we sin more that we can have more of God's grace, that it may abound? Is he saying that more sin earns for us more grace? Of course, the grace of Christ covers all sin. So what do we earn every time we fail to do what is right? What do we earn when we disobey God or doubt his providential care? It is written, the wages of sin is death. That is what we earn. We earn death, eternal death. It's what we all deserve for our sin. But God saw us in our sinful state and sent his son to pay for all of our sin Jesus, in love, and for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, bearing our sins in his body, redeeming us, shedding his innocent blood on our behalf as the ransom payment for our many transgressions. Jesus atoned, made atonement for our sin. And so that means the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Also last week we heard at the beginning of Romans chapter, chapter 8 that we are in. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. That as the baptized we are joined to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and we are raised to newness of life. We die to sin and we rise in Christ. And so we receive from Christ great gifts from our Lord. We are truly set free of all those sins that may terrify us. All those sins that have earned for us death, we are set free by God's grace. And so the gift of God is certainly eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when we hear a message like this, how can we not but want to cling to it and listen to it? 
When we hear something that's wonderful and good, we want to say, let me hear it again. And how much more should we be saying, let me hear this gospel yet again. How can we not but want to be like the 4,000 and be with our Lord for days on end? How can we not but want to come forward to receive the body and blood of Jesus for our forgiveness? How can we not but want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and to gaze upon the beauty of his temple and to abide in the saving word of Christ? And, my dear friends, how can we not but want to sing? The intro it appointed for today, Psalm 47, was a little repetitious. As you were taught and as you sang, sing praises. The psalm is known as the Ascension Psalm, along with Psalm 68. It prophesies our Lord's ascension. And by doing so, it suggests that our Lord and Savior will not remain dead, but will be victorious, for he will rise from the grave. And so the psalm announces that our Savior will ascend into heaven with the shout of God, the trumpet sound will be called, and Jesus will go on up into heaven where he will be seated in glory at the right hand of God the Father. Our intro it omitted those specific references to the ascension, as the intro its normally takes selected verses from the Psalms. And so knowing what is going on, or hearing the saving word of Christ, what should be our response for the most stunning work of God? That Christ lives and you are forgiven. We sang, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Fear the Lord, the Most High. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with the psalm. How fitting that the Sunday in which our rebuilt and expanded pipe organ is blessed is the same Sunday in which the church sings psalm, this psalm of praise, Psalm 47. And how interesting it is that the last time we heard our organ was in that short one Sunday season known as Ascension Tide the end of the Christmas season, or the, the Easter season. The last time we heard our organ was that one Sunday between Ascension Day and Pentecost. And now today, singing the Ascension Psalm, we hear our organ again. And how fitting it is that the hymn of the day recommended for today, the seventh Sunday after Trinity, is sing praise to God, the highest good. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, God has blessed us with voices. Let's use our voices to sing praises to God. Our new pipe organ was designed primarily to aid congregational singing, providing much variety of sounds to match the words that we sing in the seasons of the church year. 
And the reason for this is simple. Our focus remains on the word of God, whether it is read to us, preached to us, or we ourselves have the opportunity to sing it. The word of God must never take a back seat to music. Yes, we acknowledge the power that is found in music and the great gift of God that he has given to us in this fallen world through music. Having real pipes that match the human voice better than any other instrument in this sanctuary is a blessing. Having that air flow through those pipes instead of hearing vibrations coming out of a speaker is a blessing. But far above these blessings is that the voice of God continues to be sounded through the scriptures, through the preaching of the pastor whom God has sent, and even by you as you are singing his praises. One pastor once told me that he always encourages his congregation to sing the boldest and the loudest at the hymn of the day. The hymn that is usually appointed by the greater church, not by the pastor. Because it is your opportunity to be proclaiming the word to your pastor as he is praying to prepare to preach to you. We have every reason to be boldly singing, to be filled with joy here in God's house, regardless of what earthly losses we may endure for doing so. For Christ Jesus, our Lord, comes to us in grace and mercy and blesses us with his gifts. He is present through his word and sacrament, forgiving us and bestowing upon us his peace and eternal life. So let's always be a part of that multitude who gathers where Christ locates himself so that we obtain eternal treasures, the very gifts that he offers. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.